Isaiah prophesied, And the loftiness of man shall be bowed down, and the haughtiness of man shall be made low. That prediction bore truth in my lifetime and on my watch. I recall Freetown, Sierra Leone, in February 1999. A teenage girl named Nancy lay before me in the shade of a small, overcrowded hospital where mutilated victims, some only children, waited for miracles that never arrived. Their bodies were grotesquely disfigured. Nancy, in shock, remained mute. Drug-crazed rebel boys had brutally gang-raped her and poured molten plastic into her eyes during their rampage through the city. For me, Nancy's plight once again evoked the horror of atrocities that erupted at massive crime scenes throughout the 1990s. I also remember a steep hillside north of Srebrenica in eastern Bosnia where, on a hot August day in 2000, I stood witness to the first day that forensics experts were examining hundreds of skeletons of Bosniaks, Bosnian Muslims, dumped from a winding dirt road after they had been massacred by Bosnian Serb militia at a warehouse in the valley below five years earlier. Only ethnic Serbs lived in the area after the fall of Srebrenica in July 1995, and nobody had bothered to report the existence of an entire hillside of human bones. One Bosniak refugee returning that month to his home nearby had immediately alerted war crimes investigators. Another returnee told me, We have to return to our homes here. We can look at Serb eyes because they are the guilty ones. We'll always look at their eyes and they'll be ashamed. She described how the men and boys of Srebrenica fled north as she heard their cries from the woods. Help me. Don't leave me here. Then, she muttered, the Serbs would ambush and kill them. Often, while listening to senior officials sitting comfortably in the White House Situation Room explain why other national priorities trumped atrocities and the pursuit of war criminals, I wanted Nancy and the other mutilated bodies and missing souls of girls, boys, women, and men of Bosnia, Rwanda, Eastern Congo, and Sierra Leone to file silently through that wood-paneled room and remind policymakers of the fate of ordinary human beings. Who among the powerful would embrace the new imperative to confront hostis humani generis, the enemy of all mankind? Who would compel atrocity lords to heal before the bar of justice? During the last decade of the 20th century, one of the most ambitious judicial experiments in the history of humankind, a global assault on the architects of atrocities, found its purpose as mass killings and ethnic cleansing consumed entire regions of the earth. The grand objective since 1993 has been to end impunity at the highest levels of government and the military, not only for genocide, which captures the popular imagination with its heritage in the Holocaust, but also for the far less understood offenses of crimes against humanity and even war crimes. Because such crimes coexist as heinous acts in almost every atrocity zone, and because the criminal tribunals built in recent years have bundled them together in complex prosecutorial strategies, I use the term atrocity crimes, which I describe in greater detail in the postscript concluding this audiobook. The futile slogan of never again after World War II collapsed under the weight of atrocity crimes occurring again and again. Yet, with some kinship to the post-war military tribunals at Nuremberg and Tokyo, 
An unprecedented number of international war crimes tribunals appeared during the 1990s to bring justice to the leading perpetrators of such heinous crimes and end any legal basis for impunity. Such justice may seem self-evident today, but in the last decade of the 20th century, the outcome was unknown. The challenges were colossal in those years, as hundreds of thousands of individuals participated in the murder and ethnic cleansing of millions. The vision of achieving justice was daunting. Often the easier path would have been to cut peace deals with the leading criminals. If the tribunal's work had been left to domestic courts, particularly in devastated societies, there simply would not have been any justice at all. A choice had to be made, and the international community finally was prepared to make that choice. Either there would be a court where leaders who planned and carried out atrocity crimes would be prosecuted, or they would walk free with impunity.